Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast, a global platform for fungi entrepreneurs shaping a more intelligent and regenerative future for people and planet. And that's exactly what our guest today is doing through his work with the newly launched Beckley Retreats, a comprehensive psilocybin-assisted therapeutic retreat program that draws from the legacy of one of the most venerable presences in the psychedelic renaissance. And that, of course, is of Amanda Fielding and the Beckley Foundation. Our guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Beckley Retreats. Please give a warm welcome for Neil Markey. We just are giving people these kind of single mystical experiences without the wraparound practices and the community. We're leaving a lot on the table. It's an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you. Thank you for joining us today, and I invite you to discover our extensive back catalog of episodes with micropreneurs from around the world. Please consider spreading the virtual spores by sharing this podcast and also leave a review wherever you're listening if you feel so called. It's good to be back in the studio after seven weeks on the road. I actually recorded this episode with Neil while on the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. Yes, I visited nine countries and around 25 cities on this journey. And though I had an extraordinary trip, it's so good to be back home. Okay, I hope you're having a great day today. Reach out if you want to get in touch, michaelpreneur at gmail.com, at Podcast on Instagram, or just climb a tree and start yelling out, Michaelpreneur! See how far that gets you. Alrighty, let's get down to business. Hello, Neil Markey of Beckley Retreats. Welcome to the Michaelpreneur Podcast. How are things in New York today, Neil? Things are great. It's springtime in New York City, so it's super beautiful out. Flowers are blooming. It's warming up. My favorite time of year. Beautiful. Well, it sounds like things are warming up at Beckley Retreats as well. So I'm looking forward to getting down to brass tacks on that. And I'm very stoked to have you on the podcast and to open a window into the world of Beckley Retreats, which I understand is a new addition to a venerable legacy in the psychedelic space. That legacy, of course, belonging to the Beckley Foundation and to Amanda Fielding, who is your co-founder. So... Let's cast a wide net right from the get-go. How did you get personally inducted into this emergent psychedelic space, Neil? And how did you end up linking up with Beckley Foundation? Well, it is an absolute honor to be working with the queen of the psychedelic renaissance, Miss Amanda Fielding. I love her so much. She, uh, she's such a renegade, and she's been doing this work for so long, and it's always been about helping people. And it's such a beautiful thing to see her now getting... The recognition that she's deserved, you know, it's uh, it's really cool. I um, I got into this work. Um, should I should I just give it my bit my brief background? Please, I would love that. Yeah. So I, I you know, I was at University of Maryland studying math, thinking I was going to go to the intelligence agencies and do crypto. I had a bit of a gift in math, and all those intelligence agencies are right down the street from University of Maryland. And then September 11th happened, and from the top of the football stadium, you could see the smoke at the Pentagon, and that just changed everything in my life. You know, I, I started paying attention to what was going on in the world, watching the news, and then I ended up in the military. Um, I went to Iraq kind of at the tail end of the surge. You know, by the time we got there, we realized there was no weapons of mass destruction. So if you remember that narrative, that was, that was quite challenging. And then I ended up in the, in the Ranger Regiment um, and second ranger battalion. And that was a, that was a really amazing experience. Um, you know, the caliber of, of operator was really high. 
we were working with all the three-letter agencies, so we had all the coolest weaponry and gadgets, and you know, the president was talking about the missions that the guys were doing on the news pretty frequently, and you know, Leroy Petrie got the Medal of Honor when I was there. It was a really storied time to be in the regiment, but it was also incredibly traumatic. I mean, you know, I was lucky. I was more of a support role, and, um, and also like when I was on my first deployment, a lot of the Rangers were on like their 10th or their 11th, and so the trauma in the organization was just like intense. And, um, you know, at one point in time, we had three suicides in 90 days. Um, you know, so it was, it was just intense. And I did two more deployments to Afghanistan. And then I ended up getting out. And um, I was in really bad shape, mental health-wise. And um, you know, this was about 10 years ago. And I, the first thing that I found that really benefited me was meditation. You know, I had tried lots of different SSRIs and anti-anxiety medication and, and none of it really worked and then meditation helped and then it was that, that same year, um, about 10 years ago, that I had my first ceremonial use of psilocybin and that was profound and that, I would say that was a life-changing event and then you know, I've had, um, had a handful of years where I went quite deep on different psychedelics and um, ended up doing a teacher certification in meditation and then you know had the bit of a corporate career I was teaching meditation at McKinsey and Company um, and you know a handful of years ago um, I would say kind of got a bit off track chasing money and prestige and um, ended up leaving the corporate world after becoming kind of unwell again and and then you know got into this work again full-time and um, I mean, my relationship with Beckley has been, I mean, it's just been incredibly kind of serendipitous and organic how this whole thing has come together. You know, I was in Mexico um, after burning out in the corporate world and I was teaching meditation again. I was surfing a lot. I was, you know, getting people together and meditating on the beach. And then we would use a little bit of psilocybin and walk in the woods. And, and then I started kind of, you know, putting different programs together um, that were just based on, um, you know, programs I'd gone through. Diff so different MBSR courses or Vipassana retreats or different psychedelic retreats I'd been on and started kind of just putting different uh, modalities together. And then, you know, I got to this point where I was like, well, this is, this is it. I mean, this is, this is my life's work. This is what I want to do. I, I know that we can help people and I have, you know, these, these corporate experiences that I think allow me to now go back into those environments and communicate with some level of credibility and, and demystify some of these amazing practices and, and plants. And, um, you know, then I started looking, you know, I was like, well, I kind of want to do this in a, in a real way. And it was actually, it was pretty clear to me that, that there was some folks kind of coming into the space that maybe didn't have the best intentions, meaning they were just looking to maximize profits and you know, well-being might, you know, guess well-being might not be the top metric. And I said, well, we got to get the the uh, well-intentioned people together. And how how do we, uh, you know, get everybody on the same page? And um, I started looking for partners. And then you know, I actually ended up having gone to school, grad school, with one of the founders of Beckley Waves, which is uh, you know, the, the, uh, the investment vehicle, 
um, for Amanda, her two sons, and my former classmate at Columbia Business School. And um, as soon as we met, it was kind of a perfect, perfect match. They had been looking for um, an operator that could kind of lead and scale a business. And I was looking for a brand and a network. And it's been a pretty incredible partnership. It's my understanding that research with veterans and with psychedelic assisted therapies is one of the driving engines towards legalization because even extremely conservative factions of government or bureaucracy or the military are seeing the data that this therapy can work for people. You can't really argue against that data if a lot of people are saying, hey, this works, the opiates and kind of everything that's been given to our, uh, specifically to, to our veteran, combat veterans, it's not working. You mentioned a few you know, suicides in the camp and I, it's my understanding that there's been more veterans who have committed suicide than have been killed in both theaters of war in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. Oh uh, yeah, many more, many more. I think that um, you know, veterans are going to you know, kind of lead this charge around healing. I think that they have a unique place in American psyche and like you said, you know, it does cross the aisles, you know, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. If it helps veterans, then people get on board with it. I mean, you know, we, Rick Perry, quite conservative politician, had a profound psychedelic experience and is now a huge supporter, right? You typically wouldn't think that someone that comes from his kind of um, background and, and circle would support this stuff, but now he's a huge champion for it. So I think, yeah, veterans are really fighting hard to get the policy to shift. And I think that, you know, veterans are going to be a big part of just helping spread this work to the broader, you know, the United States and the broader Western world. I got invited to an event a couple months ago that was really kind of cool in Texas um, with Chief Phil Lane, who's a Native American chief in, in, in Texas and him and uh, some of the other uh, wise elders of his tribe invited a group of special operations guys out to their land and we stayed in teepees and we did peyote together and we did a long run and we did ceremony and the wise elders, so there's a group of you know SEALs and rangers and marine recon and some operators from the intelligence agencies and the wise elders blessed us, the special operations veterans, to go take this healing work to the rest of the world. I mean, it was pretty amazing, you know what I mean? It gives me chills even saying it now. Quite an experience. Yeah, that's extraordinary to hear that. And we hope that their, their opinions and their voices are represented as we move forward and mainstreaming psychedelics as a legitimate form of therapy. And that's something I wanted to ask you about. If you had any words of wisdom or guiding principles, maybe a North Star, for how you foresee being able to roll out and mainstream psychedelics into broader society at large, which is surely happening. I mean, you rewind three years, four years, it was still very much a niche underground topic. It was kind of socially taboo. There were a few cutting edge individuals like Amanda Fielding and you know a few more people, but now it's on the front page of the New York Times and the BBC's running programs about it. You know, everybody has seen it everywhere. I've got people's moms and grandmas asking me about it. And, you know, it's a really exciting time, but not everybody seems to really be able to agree on the best way 
to roll out psychedelics. And I know that there's a number of ongoing legislative shifts right now with decriminalization. There's, you know, Jamaica has legalized it, as you well know, and I believe there's several other island nations that are on the cusp of doing it. So it's just like kind of a, a time where there's a lot of stakeholders. And I come from the optics of you can't keep everybody happy all the time, but how can you do the most good? How can you do this in the best way. So I just want to know if you have any words of wisdom or guiding principles for how you foresee being able to roll out psychedelic assisted therapies into mainstream society in a way that does the most good and the least harm. Yeah, well, I think they're, you know, they're going to make their way through the through the established western medical system as a treatments for specific indications like anxiety and depression and it looks like, you know, that the the data is um is building that, you know, they they they, they, they're likely superior to a lot of the approaches that we have now and they can actually do a better job of healing as opposed to just kind of being a band-aid and like something you got to do long term so that's positive we got to keep looking at the data and, and make making sure and making sure that the right people are getting it and one of the one of the big things around the psychedelic experience is we've got to be careful about taking the same western mindset that we use um, to these plants and what I mean by that is they're not magic pills right and like the, 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 the thought that we can just like take them kind of like mindlessly and they're just going to magically fix us is it's, it's just not how they it's just not right it's not how it works so I think that leaders in this space need to set the expectation that they, they really they're a tool that can be used to help you know accentuate change or or um, accelerate change, but you, people have to do the work. You have to start taking better care of yourself. You have to look at your life and look at your practices and look at your habits and you've got to make adjustments and you've got to find community that can help you make those adjustments. And like, so it needs to be part of a comprehensive longer term program, you know, and if we just are giving people these kind of single, you know, mystical experiences without the wraparound practices and the community and the, all the tools that people need to actually make real change, then we're leaving a lot on the table. You know, I think that I'm hopeful that things keep working through, kind of through the Western medical system. And, you know, if you have depression, you in, in the near future, you go to the doctor and psychedelic therapy would, will be a potential option for you that you can, you can discuss with your doctor. I also hope that psychedelics, you know, become more mainstream outside the medical system, right? And I think that, you know, um, we still need to, they still need to be regulated. And, um, you know, there's, there's certainly some people, particularly young, you know, children and people that have severe mental illness that, that psychedelics is not good for, you know, but I'm, I'm more in the camp of access to these plants as a human right, you know, and indigenous people and I've uh, been using these plants for thousands of years um, as a way to heal and connect with community and connect with nature. And I think it's a, it's a part of being human that we've actually gotten away from and need to get back to. Um, it's just going to take some time for the public perceptions to unwind, you know, but we have been told a bit, not an accurate story around these things. You know, the, the public perception is that you know, the, the, that psilocybin or LSD that will kind of make you lose your mind and make you crazy. And um, 
the reality is, I mean, there's a really famous drug harm study that actually Amanda Fielding was the impetus for out of the UK in 2010. And, you know, it, it did this meta-analysis. It looked at, at drug harm, which I think is like, the, you know, a, an important thing to look at when you're thinking about risk versus reward of different drugs. You've got to look at what the downside is. And, um, you know, they, they looked kind of across the world and they looked at all the major known substances and they did a bit of a analysis to say, okay, one part of the harm is harm to self. So this is propensity for addiction. This is toxicity to the body, right? These types of things. And then the second part is harm to others. So drinking and driving, um, domestic abuse, right? Like so, and then you get this kind of net harm score, which is harm to self, harm to others. Do you know what drug was the absolute worst? Alcohol, by far and away, right? And then you have kind of like, you know, all the rest in there somewhere in the middle, you know, caffeine, you know, in the middle, tobacco, heroin, right? Like in, and um, all below alcohol, but still, it's still in there. And then at the absolute bottom, the lowest one was psilocybin, you know? So it's just our perceptions are detached from the reality, which is actually pretty common. Um, so hopefully with more data and more understanding and more learning, people are going to come around to seeing that, you know, there's, there are risks in these plants, but like relative to the risks you take getting on the subway or driving a car or going out drinking with your buddies on a Friday, I mean, it's like, come on, you know, they're, they're safe. Sure. And I think a lot of people are starting to open up to that and having a container, like a, a legal, legitimate psychedelic assisted therapy retreat center becomes very appealing for a lot of people. When I interview people who, who deal with the biopharmaceutical model and they're working for these bigger companies as engineers or as founders and whatnot, they talk about how they want to take the same sort of regulatory scrutiny that's applied to pharmaceuticals and apply that to the psychedelic space so that healthcare providers will feel comfortable prescribing these treatments even if they don't themselves want to partake in them. And that for a lot of people, they need that vote of confidence and that legitimacy. And that's why I wanna talk about retreats now because I have a couple close friends who are therapists. One works at a one of the preeminent psilocybin-assisted retreat centers in Jamaica, and another has had a practice for 15 years. And in both cases, a lot of people are asking them and asking friends of theirs, like which retreat center is right for me? Or even which psychedelic assisted therapy is right for me? You've got ketamine clinics, right? We've had, um, we've had Ronan Levy on the podcast from Field Trip. And you know, there's all these different options. There's MDMA assisted therapy is starting to, well, it's, it's getting quite a bit of clout built around it. But how would you prescribe to someone or recommend to someone why Beckley Retreat might be a good fit for them? If they're asking their therapist or they're kind of asking around and doing some field recon, what are some of the aspects of Beckley Retreats that makes it a desirable fit for people who might be wanting to dip into psychedelic assisted therapy and psilocybin assisted therapy at a deeper level? Yeah, I mean, we are, you know, endeavoring to kind of up the standard of of the way these programs are, are, are run. So, you know, we have, you know, one of, if not the most comprehensive program. So we have a five day, six day retreat intensive that's in person in Jamaica. 
um, where you do two psilocybin ceremonies, and then you have different wellness modalities that are that are taught and experienced during those days. But then, very importantly, on the front end of that retreat, we have four weeks of digital preparation, which includes a few calls with the group where you get the group dynamics started. But then we're also teaching people some of these basic well-being practices and giving them the tools to start taking better care of themselves so that the central nervous system in the body is getting into a better state so that when it comes onto the retreat, it's more ready, right? What I think, you know, there's a lot of different um, retreat operators out there that it's just the retreat. They don't, they don't do much before, they don't do much after. And I just think we can do, we can as an industry do better. I think that, you know, like the better, the more preparation you have, the more integration you have, the better. And then, so you have the prep four weeks, then you have the, you know, five, six days in person. And then on the back end, we have six weeks of integration. And, you know, this is making these really powerful, profound, mystical experiences into habit change, right? So we use, you know, all of our programs are led by a Western trained licensed psychotherapist. So there's different tools that we use and exercises that we use to make these experiences kind of get integrated into life and, and make, and make, real change. Um, so I think that's kind of one big piece is like how comprehensive and exhaustive is the program that you're going on. It would be a qu you know, question that I'd ask. And then you want to look at the caliber of the guides. All of our programs are led by Western licensed psychotherapists that also has significant experience in the mystical traditions and the spiritual traditions in the shamanistic world. So, you know, at least seen Pearson's one of our lead psychotherapists. She's done over, you know, thousands of these ceremonies over the last 20 years. So, you know, if you're gonna take the leap and go do one of these programs, like make sure that the people that you're, the facilitators that you're gonna go see are, have the right credentials and have the right experiences to make sure you have um, a good experience. Um, the other thing that we do that I think is a bit different, you know, we have a a really good facilitator to guest ratio, right? So our groups are typically 15 to 20, you know, and we have five to six facilitators. So it's like, you know, you want to make sure that there's like a good ratio. There's lots of uh, retreats out there that do much, much larger groups. I think that this, this, the smaller groups with higher facilitator ratios is, is, is better, right? I mean, it's going to be a bit more um, expensive, but this is... Um, you know, this is, should be a big decision and you should look for kind of high quality if you're thinking about doing it. Um, and then, I mean, the, the other thing that we are working on, we haven't fully figured it out, um, is this long-term community, you know? So, you know, with a ketamine clinic, for instance, um, I think there's real value in the clinic model. Um, but I think that doing this work together in a group in nature um, with a bit of a digital detox and then having that cohort of people be able to stick together post retreat and encourage each other and keep each other accountable because we're human beings and we need that is also really important too. Yeah, that component has been missing from from what I've seen with a lot of the underground ceremonies that are going on. Looking back to when there was a largely unregulated, quote, ayahuasca tourism industry in Peru and around the Iquitos area, as there were so many unscrupulous centers and 
preparation or integration were absolutely not part of the equation. It was like, all right, fly down here, take a boat out to the Amazon, do seven ayahuasca ceremonies, and then we're going to send you back because you have to start back at the office on Monday. And like, I think, you know, that, that's something we really got to watch out for and do right this time around. I do think that, that that's, that's where the danger is here because, um, and, and this is where we need to do better uh, as an industry, keep up in the standards. And I, you know, I live, spent the better part of the last couple of years in Mexico too. And so I saw a lot of this as well. And you'd have people come down and they're at the bar on Friday night and then they're doing DT, DMT on Saturday night and Sunday night they're back at the bar. And that is not a good recipe for healing or improved well-being. That's actually a recipe for psychosis and like deep depression because I mean these plants, they're opening things up you know, and they're bringing things to the surface. But if you don't have a plan or some support to deal with those things, it can be, it can, it can, it can kind of create more problems, right? Than, than solutions. So yeah, getting, setting the expectation with people that like they, that, that it's not a magic pill and it needs to be done like as part of a comprehensive program is really important. You know, we're talking about these profoundly, potentially profound and life transforming experiences, but also you are working as the CEO of a company in which these experiences are embedded. So no doubt there's a whole bunch of different phone calls and fundraising and this and that and the other. So I'd love to hear what is a average Tuesday like for you at 11 a.m. as the CEO and co-founder of a reputable psychedelics company emerging in this ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, we are a small team right now that's growing quickly. Um, so all of the challenges of an early stage organization, you know, looking, trying to find talent, trying to get uh, people coordinated, make sure that we uh, have clear kind of like swim lanes and everybody knows what they're responsible for and feels like they have the resources they need. So all the excitement around that. You know, a typical day is you know, I have a team call and, uh, and then I spend a lot of time talking to, to customers and with guests and people that are interested in the program. And I spend a lot of time speaking with, with different uh, potential like strategic partners, you know, like that's really important for us um, to build those relationships. I'm spending a lot of time interviewing candidates that want to come work with Beckley. Uh, we have a lot of roles to fill and so yeah, it's, it's dynamic. But, you know, I love it. It's, uh, I think it's my life's work. I know it's my life's work. It was like what I'm meant to do is kind of like put these things together. You know, I'm not, I'm not a healer. I've been, you know, I'm on my own kind of path here. But I'm, I, I do think I'm good at kind of like putting the pieces in place and finding the good healers, and, you know, having, putting some of the infrastructure in place so that people can, you know, get, we can improve the accessibility of these really important plants and tools. Yeah, the accessibility is so key uh, from where I'm standing. And it's been a real eye-opening experience to spend time, too, with some of the original stewards of psilocybin mushrooms. I've been spending time in Oaxaca up in Huatla de Jimenez. And I have a good friend there who's a Mazateca indigenous guy who, uh, Inti Garcia Flores is his name. And he has an archive with tens of thousands of original documents going back up to 500 years to the colonial era that maps out the entire cultural legacy and heritage of the Mazateca people. I'm talking about like old photos from the 1930s. He's got Maria, Maria Sabina's wedding tape on VHS, the second time she got married, and just like incredible documents 
that are found nowhere else in the world. You know, there's no backup, so that's a project that I've been involved in. And it's really eye-opening to see how these stewards ancestrally have brought this medicine to where it is today. And that's something very important to me is that like everybody has access. It doesn't become something where there's too much gatekeeping, but at the same time, you need to have a fully comprehensive experience available to meet people where they are at, right? So like some yeah. people are gonna need this container where they have the six day deep dive and whether, you know, leaving from their office or corporate job or whatever to come down and do this and then have the support afterwards. And I also think that doesn't have to be exclusive to people who just want to grow their own mushrooms. And I'm a big advocate for that sure. as well. So that's something that's Absolutely. been, it's been fascinating for me to be in this position because I just sort of approach everything with a detached curiosity and I'm interested in it. But then, you know, I'll go to these conferences and whatnot. I was at Meet Delic in Vegas. I was at the California Psychedelic Conference where I got to moderate a panel and people are asking me for my input on these specific, you know, what do you think about decriminalization in Denver? But it's just like so wildly different depending on where you're you know, living and where the perspectives that you're, so I'm just trying to be in a position now where I'm learning from people, right? And I'm hearing because what works for one group might not work for another group. And I think it's important that we respect the diversity inherent there. So let's, let's move into real quick, what is on the horizon right now for Beckley? You know, you've kind of discussed a little bit how you got involved, maybe some of the things that makes Beckley retreats stand out. You've got your phone calls and your strategic partnerships you're forming and your podcasts you're recording. But is there anything, you know, short of violating an NDA or whatever that you can share with us about what we might be able to look forward to moving forward? We just had like our official launch. So uh, that happened just even a few weeks ago. Our, our site is up, beckleyretreats.com. We have a program in August in the Netherlands, which is exciting. And then we have five retreats scheduled in Jamaica in the fall. So, I mean, we are accepting applications now and meeting with people that have questions and are curious about coming down on the on the program you know we are we're also looking to be a big part of just well it's it's really amanda's legacy and and continuing in her footsteps but being thought leaders um around the conversation you know related to psychedelics and well-being and consciousness and so you'll start to see some more events and you know, in person and digital um, from the Beckley family, Beckley ecosystem, um, which we're really excited about because I do think there's a big part of this that is, there's some, you know, there's people that are, have done the research, have read Michael Pollan's book, have talked to friends, and they're like ready. And like, so we have programs for people that are, are ready. But then the, probably the majority, the bigger part of the, the, the you know, the, the United States still needs some education, still needs to like, you know, understand the data, understand the, the, the indigenous wisdom, right? So I hope that we can build out like some really beautiful, compelling content, you know, videos and podcasts and talks around this work so that more people can understand it and we can help demystify it and people, you know, are, are, are more willing to, to give it a try. That's really where I'm stacking my chips is I have a background in media production and I taught high school in the United States at a charter school in San Diego, taught multimedia production. And more recently I've been contracting with a couple major universities helping commission and produce multimedia content for them and whatnot. And I just kind of like happened into this space as many people do. You know, I have a background where I went to school in San Francisco and it was pretty normal to see different 
novel molecules floating around and like you know a lot of the bay area arts and culture and tech intersection was involved with that which i was involved with and it, it was been underground though for so long you know like i wasn't comfortable publicly sharing so much about this until 2020 when you know everything sort of changed for a lot of people and all of a sudden you know michael pollan's book or any number of different people you could attribute it to started pushing it out in the mainstream more and I felt this sense of permission all of a sudden like I can talk about this publicly without completely jeopardizing my future or my career is sort of how I felt and it's been awesome right. since then and I was at Meet Delic in Las Vegas this year which is you know one of the major psychedelic conferences that happened extremely visibly tons of VCs there tons of different people representing different companies and it was fascinating just to see people speaking about it openly and at one of the panels I went to, which was, I believe, called uh, Big Business and Psychedelics, and it was people who had all, you know, um, the names are going to escape my mind, but people who had all been involved with pretty large acquisitions and mergers and whatnot over their career in cannabis and so forth. And two of the three panelists, when they were asked, where would you put a $250,000 investment in this emerging ecosystem? Two of the three said into media and education. And I was like, ah, I'm onto something here, you know, because we're still dealing with a lot of legacy stigma, right? There's a lot of like, oh, sure. yeah. And, and when I talk about my own family, it's still kind of this, like, they're kind of afraid to talk about it. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, here's a, you know, magazine article from Time Magazine you can read. But I think like at large in the culture, we haven't really crossed that threshold yet. And we're doing it more and more every day, thanks to organizations like yours. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exciting. It, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, the game's changed in the last couple of years, uh, for sure. It was weird because it's like, you know, 10 years ago when I started meditating regularly, um, people thought you were nuts meditating. And then that, that shifted, has shifted pretty significant now. Like I think a lot of people, it's very common to have a meditation practice and, you know, psychedelics five years ago, I mean, whoa, <laughs> you know, the, you couldn't talk about it openly. And then, yeah, I think in the last two years or so it's shifted and I, I, I always, a little frame of reference for myself has been like my 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 parents you know they're they're old hippies so they've always been in, you know they've always kind of been into it and they've understood it but they run in more conservative circles and you know my father's friends you know he wasn't telling them what I was doing a few years ago right like they would have thought that I was lost my mind but now all of them these men that are mid-70s they're like where do we get some mushrooms? You know, when can we come down on a retreat? And so it's like, it, yeah, it's the world's changing and I think it's a good thing. I couldn't agree more, Neil. And last question I wanted to throw before you is, do you have any parting shots for the audience? Any things that you just wanna, you know, messages that you put out to the audience? Because I think people are really stoked with what you're doing. I'm stoked about it and uh, would just love to know if you have any parting shots. Yeah, I, well, I mean, reach out if you, if you want to connect, you know, um, this, we're not, this, we're not like a broad, big company. We're a small, heart-centered company and like really want to develop relationships with folks that are interested in our program. So please reach out. We'd love to connect with people. And then, you know, I mean, take, start taking care of yourself, right? Like um, psychedelics can be used as a tool, but, you know, we've got to find ways to, to, to kind of build new habits. Um, you know, meditation is foundational so you know if you can find time to put med get meditation into your day and start making changes to your diet and your sleep patterns you know like all these things kind of work in concert and we got to kind of chip away at it from multiple angles you know, psychedelics are, are an angle are a tool but they're not they're not going to do it on their own so try and make some make some change
Well, Neil Markey of Beckley Retreats, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to join us on the Michaelpreneur podcast. We wish you great success with your continued trajectory onward and upward. Thank you. Appreciate it, Dennis. Okie dokie karaoke. What did you all think of that episode? I'm learning so much every time I host a new micropreneur, and that's what it's all about. If you ask me, ongoing personal research and development, which works particularly well with the network effect, just ask the mycelium. You can reach me at micopreneur at gmail.com, micopreneur podcast on Instagram, or www.micopreneur.com. Thank you sincerely for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed producing this episode. Take care of yourself and don't be a stranger. Peace, everybody.